from the birthplace of radio's greatest era, live from New York, it's Radio Night Live with Kevin McCullough. Wait, who? Kevin McCullough, let me start with you. Huh? The big dog, Kevin McCullough. Who? Kevin McCullough. Uh, no, who? Nationally syndicated radio host and author of No, He Can't. Who? Kevin McCullough? Kevin McCullough is a nationally syndicated radio host and author of No, He Can't. What? And CEO of Extreme Media. Oh. All right, Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the um, role of women in America, and one of the reasons why I insist upon having female voices as part of my equation uh, on all of the radio properties that I do is because I want that other side of the equation to be regularly uh, included. And when we don't have it, I think we lose something. But this week, Nancy Pelosi has said, I'm hanging them up. I'm not even going to run for leadership anymore. What impact will that have on not just women, but also the Congress itself? Monica Crowley is back to talk to us. Uh, she is the host of the Monica Crowley podcast. If you're not listening, you should be. Monica, always good to have you. And we haven't talked since the election, so this is going to be kind of fun. Hey, Kevin, it's great to be back with you. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. Um, so we know a few things now that we didn't know a week ago. We know that um, there will be probably a 10-vote majority for the Republicans in Congress. I'd like to point out that that's a point. That's a that's a that's a one vote uh, better for this Congress uh, for the Republican side than what Joe Biden had going into the election. It was two twenty to one twelve. It looks like we're going to be two twenty one to two eleven. Um, so you know, not not a lot of things to brag about. But I was really shocked at how California and New York were really the ones that kind of put us over the top. Really striking. Yeah. And it's a great irony that these two very deep blue progressive states in the end, I think, are going to be largely responsible for putting the Republicans over the finish line yep. in terms of the majority in the House. And that has to do with, in large part, Lee Zeldin in New York, who was running for governor and ran a phenomenal race. I mean, the guy came within five points of defeating the sitting Democratic governor in New York. And while he came up a bit short, most Republican candidates don't even come within 20 or 30 points yeah. of a sitting Democratic governor. So because of the great race uh, he ran, he helped to flip four to five congressional seats in the state of New York red. And then in California, Rick Grinnell, our good friend, yep. um, has an organization called Fix California. And I was just with him in Phoenix, Arizona over the weekend. And he was telling me that Fix California, his group and he, um, register tens of thousands of new Republican voters in the state of California. That worked to help flip certain seats in California. And then, of course, you have freelancers who are just indefatigable, like uh, Scott Pressler, who has crisscrossed the country and especially in the state of Florida, but has moved heaven and earth to register voters and flip them from Democrat or independent to Republican. So we have those three individuals, among many, many others, uh, to really thank for yep. helping move the House in the GOP direction. So when Nancy was giving her resignation speech, she thanked everybody and she talked about um, how there's there's up and coming leadership that she looks forward to working with is just now just the representative from San Francisco. 
Um, are we looking at an AOC minority leader in uh, in the House? What, what's what's going to happen there, Monica? <laughs> well, I just tweeted today, Kevin, that you know while we celebrate the end of the Pelosi reign of terror, just keep in mind that the person whom the Democrats choose to replace her could be worse. And if it's AOC, she could be there for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe anybody could be worse than Pelosi, but the person they choose to replace her could in fact be worse. It's sort of like applying the same principle to Russia. Everybody is like, oh, Putin needs to go. The Putin regime needs to come to an end. Well, fine, nobody's defending Vladimir Putin. But when you look at the options, it could be a lot worse than Putin who at least operates, you know, somewhat in the international community, although he had a big violation in in, uh, invading Ukraine. But what I'm saying is when people move to replace somebody, they automatically think that the replacement will be better. And that in life, it doesn't work that way and it could be worse. So you raised AOC. I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. She. I, I haven't seen any reporting that she is interested in leadership. She might be. Um, but, you know, they're talking about Hakeem Jeffries. They're talking about Adam. He's, he's as bad as she is. This yeah. is the problem. So this is the real problem, Monica. And I'm just going to pull the scab off the sword here. What you said about Pelosi was right. She, she was horrible. Uh, she was bad for the country. She advanced bad policy. The people they have coming behind her on every level are worse. And this was the frustration that the Democrats were trying to to wrestle through. And the old guard, it's my sense, because AOC has been very outspoken about this over the last couple of years. Their time is done. And she's made it clear um, if if she has anything to say about it going forward, it's going to be a progressive, hardcore left-wing party. And it appears that they're not going to have really anybody competitive because Hakeem Jeffries is just as bad as AOC, if not worse, in terms of uh, uh, policy uh, ideas and, and worldview. This, this we're looking at a very distinct and very different party, even from where they've been the last few years, uh, depending on who they who they put in that spot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, look, Nancy Pelosi will still represent San Francisco until she either retires or dies in office, one way or the other. Um, So she will still be there and she's obviously a progressive and is led that way. But the progressive movement is even more radical than she is because she's well into her 80s. So if it's Hakeem Jeffries or Adam Schiff or, um, you know, the other rumor, too, is that Dianne Feinstein, who is really, unfortunately, out to lunch. Come on. That's not younger leadership. (laughs) Uh, Right. Uh, But the rumor is that she is going to step down and that Newsom will replace her with Adam Schiff. So you will have Senator Adam Schiff. In the, uh, from California. Yeah. So this is what I mean. Like, as bad as these people are, the replacements coming up are more radical, they're more progressive, and therefore they're going to be worse. R- Real quickly, a little bit later, I'm going to speak with Kelsey Bowler from the Independent Women's Forum. She's written a thing in the Daily Caller about how the Republicans did on the women's vote. Um, they turned out more married women uh, in, in the election, it turns out, which I kind of had anticipated the angry mama bears who were really upset about the school districts were going were gonna to do that. But evidently, there was a larger margin than normal that went single women that went for the Democrats. There are obviously postulations out there that it's a combination of factors, probably the very hard, you know, anti-abortion campaigning that, um, you know, people like Hochul did against people like Zeldin. 
but there's also questions about whether uh, Trump can ever win a bigger slice of the single woman vote simply because of his personality and his uh, the way he kind of rubs single women uh, uh, the wrong way. I'm just curious your thoughts on that because I hadn't really given it a lot of thought since election night. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, I I think our side, myself included, um, really downplayed the abortion decision, the Dobbs decision. I just felt like the whole abortion issue was basically baked into the cake by now. Um, and, and kicking it back to the states really wouldn't mean much. But the Democrats really did a number on particularly single women, that their rights were being taken away, that democracy was under threat and, and so on. And yeah. a lot of single women did believe that. Um, when it comes to Trump, look, he is going to have a challenge because 2022, 2024, this is not 2016. Um, in 2016, he was like a novelty act, right? Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. And everything about him was brand new. The style, the rallies, the energy, all of it was new. It's no longer new, right? I mean, we know Donald Trump. We know who he is, his personality, how he governed, how he would govern. So a lot of this is baked into the cake. And the challenge is going to be, you know, a robust primary, which I welcome. I think a robust primary helps the eventual nominee, regardless of who it is, sharpen their attacks, sharpen their messaging, uh, become fleeter on foot. I believe that's a good thing. But then when it comes to a general election, you know, the question is, are there people who are still persuadable with regard to Trump? And I'm not sure about that. And if you're talking about uh, particularly young women, but when you talk about voters under 30, I mean, every other age group, Kevin, voted for the Republicans. Yep. Every other age demo, except for voters under 30, they went for the Democrats by plus 28 points. Free, free college money. And, uh-huh. and, on, and, in the women, and in the women's column, it was, you know, I, I don't want to lose my access to abortion. I, I was really, I'm kind of surprised at it all, to be honest with you, Monica, because I thought that Number one, I didn't think that the youth would turn out in um, a midterm. They just typically don't. They rarely vote, um, sometimes even in presidential years. And to have that much of an increase was really shocking. Um, but there's, I have thousands of other things I want to talk to you about, but we're out of time. Dr. Monica Crowley, the Monica Crowley podcast, available anywhere you get great podcasts. Monica, we'll talk to you again soon. Always a pleasure, Kevin. Thank no, you. No, the pleasure's all mine. Kevin McCullough, coming right back. From New York, back to Radio Night Live. Here's Kevin McCullough. All right, Kevin McCullough, very glad to have you with us. Thank you for being here. It is a very interesting time now. People are doing deep dives on what happened in the election. And now that the House of Representatives has been uh, decided, now that the Speaker of the House uh, has uh, resigned her position in leadership of the Democratic Party, um, now that there's a, a number of new developing um, you know, complications or developments in the uh, incoming Congress. We have some more things to look at. And I'm so glad to have Kelsey Bowler back with us uh, from the Independent Women's Forum because how women performed in the election was something that she and I spoke about uh, prior to the election. And uh, it's good to have her back 
today. Uh, Kelsey, uh, always appreciate you being here. And I want my listeners to understand that my interest in women's involvement in the dialogue is very genuine. Um, I, this very much concerns me. I go very deep on this. My mom, sisters, daughter, and, and wife always have, um, to me, been people that I've thought of when it comes to public policy and how we just function as a culture. I want I want our culture to be good to women and I want them to um, be, you know, given the distinction and the honor that they deserve uh, in the culture alongside the men. Um, so I don't ask this question from a silly or shallow spot, but what did we learn about how women uh, turned out in the election and, and what observations are you drawing from it? Well, first off, we learned that single unmarried women uh, did not vote Republican and appeared to be uh, very repelled by any Trump-endorsed candidate. Um, these, Kevin, you and I spoke before the midterm elections uh, that it appeared GOP candidates were going to perform very well with independent voters, and many of those voters are women. Um, so, you know, that very much fed into the narrative that there was going to be this big red wave. Um, one, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that wave did not actualize, at least to the extent that uh, many of us hoped, is, is because uh, Republicans did not perform as well with women and specifically single unmarried women as they would have needed to. And this is, uh, you know, this is a significant development to account for looking at looking ahead to 2024 because in order for a republican to win they are going to need to win over independent voters again many of them women and so in these cases where uh, these candidates did not win in states that are very important um, to any presidential uh, campaign pennsylvania michigan wisconsin why and i do believe that there's a Trump factor, whether that is fair or not. You know, I personally believe Trump has been treated incredibly unfairly by the press, uh, by the deep state. Um, you know, I, I don't personally love a lot of his attacks that he leverages, um, you know, against his opponents and even even um, individuals in his own party. You know, Trump was attacking Governor Ron DeSantis and uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin. Um, there just seems to be no reason for that. And I think women specifically have a low threshold in terms of tolerating that. Um, so I, I do think this is a significant factor to think about I, as I, I think Republicans they, look forward. I think that's especially true if it's out of context, for sure. Um, and I, th we can talk about that on a, on a different day at a different time. I want to focus in on the women thing. Um, in your article that you wrote for The Daily Caller, you pointed out that uh, Republicans did better with married women, and there was a significant gap in the unmarried women vote that favored the Democrats. Um, in the context of an election where the Republicans got about six million more popular votes nationwide than the Democrats did across all races, um, don't single women tend to vote Democrat anyway? And if they do, how? What was the margin? What was the extra margin that they voted? Uh, this time in, in the Democratic uh, column, as opposed to what a normal cycle of single women support for uh, Democrats would be. 
Yeah, that's a good question and one I, you know, I don't have the immediate answer to, but it's worth considering I well, because... So I, I the reason we, I ask is just for context, because um, the, the women's number that the GOP improved was about 6% better than normal. And I think those were mm-hmm. the angry mama bears that you and I had talked about. Uh, mm-hmm. I am I am curious, especially with the emphasis that uh, the, the special interest money put on abortion, if that didn't really impact that single woman vote much more so than than even than even Trump's personality that that where they where they put those ads for abortion and for pro-abortion candidates uh, they were able to paint the uh, the opposition as extremist this is what Kathy Hochul tried to do I'm just saying in New York yeah every ad against Lee Zeltman was an attack ad saying he he hated women um, I don't know that Trump had any role in that race but I know that single women probably voted for Hochul more than, than Zeldin in that in that regard yeah, you're right. You you raise a good point. And actually, in my Daily Caller article, you know, you can tri- you can attribute a number of factors um, to why Republicans didn't perform as well as they hoped with a lot of these uh, female voters. But certainly, abortion is one of them. And you know, this is <laughs> this is more of a um, glass half empty take, which I don't usually like to put out there, but. Certainly, you know, we know from these school board fights whether while there are so many mama bears um, pushing uh, against these, you know, COVID policies, political correctness in school, gender ideology. We also know a lot of these policies are being pushed by single unmarried women, Um, you know, so to a certain extent, you know, some of them, it might be extremely difficult for any GOP candidate to capture. But, you know, if we just look at a state like Virginia, where we did have, you know, a moderate Republican able to um, able to win in the governor's race, that does give you hope. And that does that does teach you something about a strategy that can convince these more moderate voters to get on board. And look, I'm, I'm not saying that's what the GOP uh, should pursue in 2024, but I think these are factors, abortion um, and, and sort of the Trump factor that we have to reckon about. And on the abortion front, there's so much misinformation um, on the left. There's so much fear mongering. And, and so it's not that the GOP should necessarily change it, change its position. It's that we have to do a better job fighting the misinformation that is uh, scaring women that, you know, if they have a miscarriage, they're not going to be able to get the health care right, they need. Right. And and those types of ideas that right. really are affecting voters and are driving certain proportion of women to the polls to vote Democrat. Yeah, just flat out lies in, in most regards. Um, Kelsey, always appreciate your insights. Uh, friends, read her piece at The Daily Caller. It really breaks all this down. And I thought she did a, a great job as usual. We always appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Kevin McCullough coming right back. Don't go away. And as I promised at the top of the show, a brand new song has been released with the chosen theatrical event this weekend. You can't see this anywhere else, but here's a little teaser from Radio Night Live and Matt Marr.
back to Radio Night Live. Here's Kevin McCullough. All right, Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. Uh, we were just speaking with Kelsey Bowler about the uh, breakdown of the women vote and how the the numbers on the single side were even more surprising than, I mean, I go back to what I said with, with uh, Monica Crowley and Kelsey both, but the single women have always voted Democrat because the government is in essence their husband. Um, they want government entitlements. They want the help. They need the child care. They, they, if you're a single woman, your, your life is very different than if you're a married woman. And no one knows that better than my next guest, Bethany Mandel, happily married herself, mother of many kids, and a writer for the Deseret and uh, others uh, across the spectrum, Ricochet uh, and others. Uh, Bethany, the, the, the numbers that we're starting to get out of the election are telling us a few things about how the election went down. Six million more people voted for the Republicans than the Democrats nationwide. But the Democrats really ran up the score in some places, and that's where the disconnect between um, having this fervor of intensity on the Republican side, people motivated to get out there and do it, uh, didn't meet with the reality of kind of how the map matched up. And I'm just curious, you know, your thoughts on what that means. So I think that in places like Florida, we saw a lot of those numbers because people in Florida felt like their governor correctly felt like their governor sort of protected their interests. Um, in places uh, like Pennsylvania, it's actually interesting, even though Fetterman won by, you know, razor thin margin, um, he got fewer votes than Biden did, but it was, you know, it was enough to, to hand him, uh, hand him the win. But, you know, I, I think we're we're very bifurcated in this country it's you know it's 51 49 every single time and um and it's disappointing that republicans weren't able to sort of channel that enthusiasm into more dramatic red wave but um you know we had sort of the Dobbs situation as speaking of single women i, I think that that's a huge portion of of why we did so poorly. I, I think you're right. You can't run, you can't run, you know, 25,000 ads a day in New York State as Kathy Hochul saying that Lee Zeldin is an extremist who wants to mess with women's bodies and not have some, and I'm just going to say this, some rather ignorant and illiterate single women that don't pay attention to any of these things, don't don't follow any of the issues, but, but that commercials on their TV set every 10 seconds in the last month of the election. I think that's going to have an impact on some level. And I, I didn't think it was going to have as big of one as it apparently did. And what's sad about it, you're correct that they're ignorant and they don't pay attention because the number of women who think that the the sort of defeat of Roe meant they're not going to get treatment for an ectopic pregnancy or they're yeah. not going to... Miscarriage, all that stuff, yeah. I mean, the, the rates are astronomical on the number of women... Who, I mean, even the number of doctors who don't work in OBGYN who think that that's the case. I've been talking to a lot of OBs for a Spectator magazine piece that I'm working on. And the misinformation that they're running into from women is honestly galling. And it's because of the Democrats' messaging. They wanted to scare people. And, you know, truth be darned. 
They did. They scared them. They lights out. All right. I wanted to ask you about that, and I appreciate you weighing in on it. Um, and by the way, kudos to you and all the other married women, because in a larger percentage, it's about six to seven percent, um, you guys came home to common sense with the Republicans. And I, I do think that was a lot of mama bears that were just fed up with school districts. And if you saw this is the thing that hasn't been reported. There was a red wave. There were about 50 yeah. progressive cities that had you know crt gender identity weirdos uh pushed off their school boards and yep. they got a lot of they got a lot of moms and dads elected in those in those school boards of common sense that was where i think that nobody reported it but you really did feel a red wave across the country because you had all of these you know just crazy nut jobs bringing drag queens into schools and and wondering why parents were upset well a lot of those people got canned yeah no, and it's not just the dry queens. And I think that that's I think that that's messaging that Republicans are not quite capturing well. Um, I think that obviously there is concern about all this gender stuff, but I think that there's much more concern in the 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 total decline in quality yep. of these school districts. And so I think well, it's all hand in hand when they stop teaching yeah. math and English and science, they have to fill the time up with something. So it's all about how racist they are and how they should not listen to their parents and how they should have their you know perfectly healthy breasts cut out of their bodies at prepubescent ages it is appalling to see what has become of the public education sphere yeah yeah absolutely here where i live in montgomery county um they they're putting kids in front of screens even now there was a mom who stopped into her kids school to to check in on her kids and she said that she walked in and every kid was just playing video games shocking and unacceptable bethany mandel appreciate your insights tonight coming right back everybody loves my baby but my baby don't nobody but me no one but me. and now back to radio night live once again kevin mccullough well it was a busy week for me a uh, lot of time spent on the road more than i have spent in quite a while uh, kevin mccullough glad to be with you on uh this uh, weekend evening so thankful to have you uh, with us uh, every weekend and um thanks to biz tv and salem news channel and the 300 radio stations that uh, put us on the air we're very grateful uh, as i mentioned in the first hour i spent this week at two not one but two uh premieres and The Chosen, which launched in theaters this weekend and is absolutely killing it, according to the box office numbers, uh, invited me to uh, be right there on the red carpet, uh, set me up with my own uh, camera remote uh, guy, and we, we got uh, some great conversations. In the first hour, we heard from the man who plays Quintus, the centurion, and the man who plays Jesus, Jonathan Rumi, who uh, portrays uh, the Jesus character. But I thought here in the ladies' lounge, why not get behind the scenes with some of the women who play the most um, uh, prominent roles like Mary Tamar, Mary Magdalene, and a woman named Eden. Take a listen to the uh, conversations as they unfolded. What is it about the magic of your own character, do you think? Well, it has to be her her motherhood. I mean, the, the only the most venerated person, woman in history. No pressure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the most famous mother on this earth. Uh, yeah, I just, I feel her, that's that's her ministry. Like, that's her that's her life. Part of this changing the world is through her being a mother to this, to Jesus, to, to the person who will be changing the world. I brought my baby with me to set when I first started this, this series. 
in season one. She was 10 months. Um, now she's with me for this. It's like, I get goosebumps thinking about it. It's just, she's grown with it, and so has the series. And it's very special to me as a mother to be portraying um, 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 this lovely relationship that, that we have with, with Jonathan. Only the world's most famous mom. For me, with Tamar, what I have learned from her, and we're going to find out more in season three, is that the incredible trials that she's gone through in her life and how she doesn't let that define her and, and where she, who she is and who, where she's going with her life. Like, she's so determined. As you see in episode six of season one, like, she, she let her faith guide her. And it's such an inspiration and a motivation to me because that was something I struggled with. It was, like, just trusting. And she has that faith, and it's immovable, and it's, and it's just... I can play off of her because anytime I feel like Amber is like she's losing that like I need to play something like this I never thought it would actually happen my background was in theater so there were wonderful female characters as I was studying and then when I got into TV and film I was like where are all the good female characters with depth and and even psychological you know complications and, and complexity and and so I've been really disappointed in that for so long up to the point where I try to quit acting and I was like I'm this isn't for me um, which is exactly when I booked this role my agent submitted it for me or for me to it and um, and I was so excited when I read this audition that this is such a complicated character so emotionally rich and so much depth and also so much heart and it's it's such a joy it's, it's a real privilege to be able to play her there's a very complex component that you identified there that I think the whole production of this show kind of came out of because Dallas Jenkins had a similar experience. He was kind of rock bottom. His last film had bombed. He was thinking, maybe I'm not even supposed to be doing this anymore. And then he gets asked to make The Shepherd, little church film about the birth of Jesus. Um, do you think there's a supernatural larger than what we see to the naked eye kind of calling to this project? I think it's really hard to ignore that. I think, um, and I've mentioned before in interviews, I've, I'm a skeptic. I'm, I'm, I've even been cynical about things. And every experience on this show, every season as it keeps growing, I'm like, there is something really special going on here. And for me, I'm, I'm feeling it's a presence of God. For other people, I'm not sure what they're feeling, but. I think everyone that watches it knows that there's something special. Are there are there conversations between cast members about such? Yeah, I mean, naturally, we we're talking about these characters in in this historical setting, and and we know, you know, we want to research them, we want to know about them, and it's natural for us to to want to do that. Um, and then the closer you are with with the cast member, you start talking about these things, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a nice mix of people from lots of different backgrounds so it's, really, it's a wonderful opportunity to about to, being a part of the show is that not many people or not many actors can say that they are a part of a show that is literally changing lives it's great to be a part of a show that's wonderful like Queen of the South or Dynasty those are great shows but this show is changing lives so that does something to you um, as I prepare for the role uh, for the storyline on and off set and um, it's it's life-changing for me as well what is the best story someone has told you about watching The Chosen? That it has not only brought them to their faith, but quite literally pulled them out of something awful like suicide. Um, where, I mean, to see, to get messages from fans that they reach out and they say, after watching just episode one, because they relate to so much to Mary Magdalene, where she was ready to give it all up, um, and then they realize that they are loved and seen, and that 
is incredible to be a part of something that has pulled someone out of that. What do you like about season three that's different from season two? Season three, it is the most just gruesome, emotional season, I think, so far. So it's going to be more intense emotionally than the first? Oh, my goodness. I think so, yeah. We're going to be puddles in the seats, whether you're watching it in theaters or at home on the app. Well, it's interesting you say that because there is very much a This Is Us component to the uh, to the chosen. Even in season one, the, the handicam work, the music beds, everything kind of has that really super emotive type of feel. But beyond that, you've got these really well-defined characters. It really is unlike anything that's ever been faith produced before absolutely we i think that's what makes it so special is that the writing is rich and there's so much dynamic to these characters there's storylines that we don't see in scripture and that's what people are relating to because so much is left out from scripture and i think that honestly god always wants you to kind of read between the lines and imagine what it might have been like and that's what the show is doing and i i just love it's like art and cre the creative writing meeting has this impacted your own faith it has, absolutely. How so? It's brought me closer to my faith. Um, it's made me realize that more so that there's so much more to this life. It's, it's, it's bigger than me. The show is bigger than all of us. Um, and I, I just hope that people realize that, that they're so loved. Their souls are real. That's Lara Silva, who plays uh, the woman named Eden. Uh, huge opening weekend for The Chosen, and uh, so much fun to be there and to be around all of the uh, busyness with that production. Look for great things in the uh, days to come from that. Plus, Wing Feather Saga I'll be doing in a couple of weeks as well. Kevin McCullough, coming right back. Once again, from New York, here's Radio Night Live and Kevin McCullough. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the New Music Spotlight, Ellie Holcomb.
rounding out Radio Night Live for this week, uh, November 19th, 2022. Kevin McCullough, so glad that you were able to spend some of your weekend with us. If you missed us on Biz TV, stay tuned right now at 11 o'clock Eastern. It uh, starts all over again. And on Salem News Channel, we're back tomorrow night at 9 p.m. East Coast. And we look forward to seeing you there or in the archives of Salem News Channel. Kevin McCullough, have a great week.